Good morning. <laughs> My voice has got deeper. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Good morning. I almost sound like Frank Bruno, you know what I mean, Harry. <laughs> well, I hope you've all had a good week. I hope you're all in good spirits. I hope that you're all well. And you come this morning in various states of tiredness. States of tiredness, states of tiredness can be refreshed to totally worn out. Wherever you are, we pray that God will refresh you this morning. Now, we're going to start a little mini-series, and I have the honor and the privilege of kicking this series off. It's only two weeks they're going to do. Chris is going to come up and do the next bit. I hope that I've left enough material for him to actually teach from. However, we're going to have some fun with this. Well, I hope so, because it's a subject in the many sense that it's close to everybody's house, heart. Because everybody in here uses money, spends money. And we're going to look at this and just see how God can help us all. And the title is, How Wise People Build Wealth. Now, I'm not standing up here as someone who has achieved it. I'm in the process too. And when I began to study this and look at this, you know, I was saying, Lord, why me? <laughs> you know, I've got so much to sort out. But, you know, it's like the Lord said, well, I didn't give you the subject because you were perfect. I gave you the subject because you were in the process. So as you look at this, as we go through this process this morning, as we go through the ideas and the concepts, I don't want anybody in here to feel condemned or feel they're a failure. Remember, we're all in process. We're all on the journey. You know, someone said success is not a goal, it's a journey. We're on the way. So that's what I want you to just get in your hearts. And, and remember this, that God is for you. God is for us. He is a father and he wants to bring us along in the process. And sometimes the process is not comfortable. And I'm telling you, when I was preparing this, it was not comfortable. <laughs> However, I know that God's plan is to bring us all to that place. So when we see him face to face, we'll be out spot, without spot or wrinkle. His plan is that in every area of our lives, we prosper and we grow. That's the goal. So I'm going to pray now and then we're going to get into it. Father, we want to bless you that you are here with us this morning. We thank you that your mercy and your grace and your love is toward us. We thank you that that has been personified in your son Jesus. Who gave his life for us at Calvary. And Father this morning we pray that your grace and your mercy will be upon us your people. That your spirit would speak to our hearts. If it's challenge then Lord challenge. If it's conviction yes conviction. If it's comfort then comfort. But Lord, we ask you that we may be open to hear what you have to say to us this morning. And help me, Lord, as we seek to be your channel. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, how wise people build wealth. In this series, we're going to look at how people, wise people build wealth and develop some biblical strategies that will help us avoid what I call financial meltdown. Let's read a story of two men from Luke 6. 46 to 48. Some of you will remember this because when I used to go to Sunday school, we used to sing a little song. It was about the wise man built his house. How, how many people remember that? The wise man built his house. Yeah, you remember that? <laughs> well, that, we're going to read about that story now. Now, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you 
what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck the house, but it could not shake it. When a flood came, the torrent struck the house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Now, what was common to both men? What was common to both men? Well, the thing that hit both the houses were the floods and the torrents. Now, what did the wise man do? wise person do he dug deep and he laid a foundation on rock now here's the point the floods and torrents of financial challenges will at some point strike our lives it's just the way it is you know you you had a couple hundred pounds there and you find you need two tires for the car yeah? Or you're driving along and you hear clink, 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 clink when you look. The exhaust has come off the car. You weren't, you know, your car was just driving, it was nice, and then it sounds like, all of a sudden you think you've got a, a racing car out the back there. You know? So these things happen. You know, you, you, it just, every just as it's coming together, something comes on you, at you. And what we're hoping is that with God's help, we can build financial wealth on a solid foundation so that we're not shaken. When things impact us and remain firm. Now, let me just tell you some facts here. According to Credit Action, the UK household debt is at the moment, excluding mortgages, £9,550. If you include mortgages and personal debt, it's £59,750. That's almost £60,000 per household. That's frightening. You know, when I read it, I was like, whoa. Apparently, every four and a half minutes, someone will be declared bankrupt. And by the time I finish this sermon, which is about 30 minutes, three homes will be repossessed. So, friends, you know, we're in crisis. And if you look in the paper, I see the government are now printing more money. Quantitative easing is the economic term, apparently. This money will be, comes from nowhere, they will develop it, use it, and then when things get better, it will, no one will have to pay it back because it wasn't really there in the first place. <laughs> that's the Mail's version of it, Daily Mail. I'm not saying it's a great paper, but that's what they said. But we're in trouble. And, you know, even when I look at our own personal finances, I can see how... If you don't take some control of it, it will take control of you. So then, how can we protect ourselves against these storms? That's the the point of the message. How can we protect ourselves against these storms? storms? Three things. Learn to honor God with our income. Learn to honor God with our income. Practice frugality. Learn to be content. 
Those are the three things we're going to look at this morning. I believe will help us. So let's look at the first one. Learn to honor God with our income. Look, develop an attitude of gratitude. Yo, I like that, yes? Yeah, that's one of my lines, isn't it? You know? Develop an attitude of gratitude. You know, don't be a moaner. It's, you know, just a reminder of Psalm 100. You know, come enter his gates with thanksgiving. Come before him with praise. You know, in other words, don't be miserable. Thank you. Be grateful for what God has given you. You know what our society does? Our society gets us to focus on what we haven't got. So, you know, you see the advertisements as they come at you. You see the nice house. You see the, two ch- the husband and the children. And you see the house and the car and all the nice things. And it, it, it's there to produce discontent. And you look at what you've got. And you want to change it. Providing you're not married, of course. <laughs> Some of you didn't get that. I didn't either. <laughs> no. You know, you change the car, you change the house. But you look at what you've got and then you look at what you'd like. But you shouldn't do that. <laughs> But we want to change it. But first thing first is just be thankful. James put it like this. Every good and perfect gift comes down from God, the Father of light, to whom there is no variable or shadow of turning. In other words, everything that you have, it came from him. Be thankful. The kids, the house, the car, the job. It all came from him. So let's be thankful. Second point. Aim to cheerfully give 10% of God's provision back to him. Now I said aim, and it's in the book here, by the way. We do practice tithing in this church, and it isn't a money talk, but I'm talking about money. But you should be aiming to give back what he gave you. And by the way, he owns all your income because it came from him. So you're only giving him back that which is his own, and he's not asking for all of it. Just 10%. Aim at that. Malachi, well, two things, cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7 says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also, also reap generously. Just a point here, when God does anything, he's always generous. You know, he didn't make a, a few animals and a few plants and a few trees. He made loads. Yeah, he made a variety of different animals and insects. And look at us as human beings. Every one of us is unique. God is into abundance. He's generous. He's not stingy. He doesn't look down at you know, and say, well, all right, you know, I will just give her a little bit. No, he wants to dump it into your lap. That's his plan. He always wants to give you an abundance. You know why he gives you an abundance? So you can give some away. It's not just for you to just, hmm, nice, this is good. No, it's so that you can give it away. So when he, we're talking about being generous here and being cheerful, remember, we should do not to give under compulsion. <laughs> well, I have to give the 10%, you know, so, you know, that, that doesn't please God. You know, I think God would say, keep your money. You know, well, let me see if I got any small change in my pocket here, you know. No, God said, keep a small change. Keep a small change. Don't do it reluctantly, for God loves a cheerful giver. When you're giving, he's looking at your heart. Now, at the moment, you might think, 10%? Are you, what planet are you on? You know, we said, aim at that. Aim at that. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, Malachi chapter 3, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Now, here God says, you can test me. You do your part and watch what I'll do. And I, don't, I always come through. 
You can trust me. Says the Lord. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. And pour so much blessing on you. There won't be enough room for it. So. That's a little challenge for us all. And third point. Aim. Now this is. I almost when I wrote it down. I said is this heresy. But I'll continue with it. Aim to save 10% of God's provision. For the future. Aim to save. I was thinking, man, most of us, you know, I my wife is, is very good at this type of thing. And she's always talking to me about, come on, Dan, you know, we need to have something. We've got no savings. And I'm thankful to God for her because with our kids, uh, you know, when they reach their 18th or 21st birthday, because when we got married, we were in a church that actually did this kind of stuff. And we, we had a guy called Rob Harris, who was a financial controller, a financial consultant, my brother is as well. And he was very good. And he set us down when we got married and we worked out a little kind of five-year plan, little wealth maker plan and a 15-year plan, little wealth maker plan. And the thing is, we didn't, we didn't <coughs> save lots, but it was like five pounds every month. And Eileen, we tucked this away. And just as Eileen, we came to have our first child, it came, the five-year plan came to fruition. And as Eileen stopped work, we had a little money. And in fact, if I remember rightly, we redecorated the house, we put in central heating, all when Eileen had finished work. And I was saying, well, this is amazing. We did more things in the house at that particular point than when we both had two salaries. And then we had a little 10-year thing. And, you know, when Rachel was 18, she, I said, well, you know, we've got a little bit of pot money for you. What do you want to do? She said, oh, I want to go to Paris. So we went to Paris and, you know, et cetera. And then when she was 21, we had a little bit there. And I'm thankful to God because it was down to me, it wouldn't have happened. You know, it was, it was you know, <laughs> we had these little, these little things. So the issue is this, that when we're talking about saving, we're not talking big bucks. If you go to Starbucks, you'll pay what? One pound fifty, two twenty-five. I don't know because I don't do Starbucks. Two twenty-five, three quid. How much? Ah, three pounds. That's easy for the illustration. <laughs> three pounds. If you did that every day, three pounds a day. What's that about? Almost what? Fifty, sixty, seventy. Almost hundred quid, I suppose, in a month. Yeah, that's a lot of money on coffee, isn't it? Well, supposing you stuck it in a little savings plan, you'd be surprised after thirty years how much money that would be. Accumulated, it could be lots. <laughs> but just the issue with saving is just put something aside that you're not going to use, that you're not going to touch. Come whatever or high water, you're not going to touch it. So it's not about how much, it's just, okay, if it's five pounds a month, then put it somewhere. Yeah? It's not the, uh, the amount that's the issue. It's not the, you know, how much. It's just, how, just put something aside. Now, that's a challenge for me, and I'm sure it's a challenge for most of us, because from our, if I don't know, savings, we've had some, and it's gone. So we don't have to think about that. But I remember many years back, and that's Baptist Church, that they taught us, taught us the, we call it 10, 10, 80 plan. You know, save 10%, give 10%, and live on 80%. It's not heresy, but it's something we should consider. Now, Next point, practice frugality. Now, frugality is determined as practicing or marked by economy, as in expenditure of money or the use of material resources. It doesn't mean that you're tight. All right? Because then you're frugality. Oh, yeah, you are tight. You know? Okay. Um, you know, you, you take the kids out, they want something. I remember, oh, I remember a story. We went up to London with my dad many years ago. 
when we were small kids. And we were at Hyde Park Corner, Speaker's Corner, I remember it well. And it was a sweltering day. And Jerry and I were there, and boy, we're looking at the ice cream van, and our tongue was like, you know, Pablo Doug. <laughs> you know? And we wanted the ice cream. So my dad went up and said, two cornets, please. So, you know, the bloke got the two cornets. And he said, that'll be 25p each. My dad said, just have one. Because <laughs> it was like, 25p, I'm not paying 25p, so we only had to have one. That's frugal. But, you know, I was, so we had, both had to lick the ice cream together. <laughs> frugal. <laughs> but, you know, but I think that's tight more, but <laughs> more than frugal. But the thing is this. You know, let me give you some examples here. Let's look at a case study on Warren Buffett. He's the second richest man in the world. Now, he was born in 1930. He, he has a net worth today of, listen to it, $62 billion. You, you couldn't spend that every day of your life. You couldn't, you couldn't, you have $62 billion. If you spent a million every day, you'd never spend it. You couldn't spend it. Often he's called the sage of Omaha. And he's the chief executive of Berkshire Hathaway. Now, here's the interesting thing. Although he's very wealthy, he still lives in the same house he bought the year I was born, 1959. Okay, you know what age I am now. <laughs> he bought it for $31,000. It's now worth about half a million dollars. He doesn't buy bespoke tailored suits. I would like one still. <laughs> but <laughs> he just buys suits off the peg. Apparently... It's reported that Buffett does not carry a cell phone, that's a mobile phone, does not have a computer at his desk and drives his own automobile, which is just a Cadillac. Now, here's a man that could, you know, afford a Bentley. You know, he, he, you know whatever matter how expensive it is, he could afford it. However, he does have one toy. He bought, he bought for $9.7 million a jet plane. You've got to have some toys. <laughs> Listen now. What he's decided to do with his wealth when he dies is this. He said that he doesn't want his children to have too much or too little. So 83% of his wealth he's actually going to give to the Bill and Moran, Melinda Gates Foundation for them to use. 83. In fact, it's the biggest donation ever given in the world to any Charitable organization. Think about it. 83. Lord, send someone like that to us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what a, yeah. So here's someone who's, who, even though he's wealthy, he's frugal. Now, we're not saying that you know, we're going to do an audit of your house and come around and say, oh, you have mm, LCD TV? Mm. Or you have. Ten pairs of shoes? Mm. No, that would be terrible. That's not what it's about. It's just about the fact that if, you know, Chris helped me on this one, you know, he'd say to me, hey, damn, I've got these shoes here. And I said, where did you get the shoes, man? He goes, got them on the internet, 20 quid. So I'm thinking, no, that's good. So I went on the internet, man, the other day, and I needed another pair of shoes. I'm wearing them now. And I flashed through, hmm, 40, 20. 20 pounds for that, which is 40. Plus package and packaging posted in, 22, I think it's 22.95. I've got the shoes. Thank you, Chris. That's been frugal. 
See, the shoes would have cost me £40, pound, but I went on the internet and I listened to my pastor and I'm, you know, that's what they call modelling. <laughs> yeah? So you see, the thing is this, that you don't have to spend lots of money to look good. I'm sure there's a song there somewhere. But... <laughs> You don't have to spend lots of money to look good. Many times, you know, I kind of got some nice suits. I, I, like, I, I, I like a Pierre Cardon. I like an Yves Saint Laurent. <laughs> yeah? So, you know, you know, these are nice suits. But you don't have to, to pay the earth for them if you know to, where to look. Being frugal. You know, you could eat out, but sometimes, sometimes it's cheaper to eat in. However, it's kind of, we, we've got a carvery up our way, and it's £3.50. And you can have chicken, um, turkey, you can have pork, or you can have beef. <laughs> yeah? And all the vegetables. Now, the truth is, it would be hard for you to cook it for that price. You know? So, you know, if Stephen doesn't come home, or he hasn't told us when he's coming home, or he's, he's working, I said, come on, honey, let us go. What about Stephen? I said, don't worry, he will eat. Come, let's go. <laughs> let's go to Calvary. Be frugal. And my wife is very good at this. You know, she said, like, turn off the lights. You know, we just got our gas bill the other day and it's gone up like 40 pounds a month I'm thinking well there's only three of us in here so I mean, we could be using so much gas but it's not actually we're using more gas it's just it costs you more and I said that's 95 pounds a month for gas for three people now okay our house is a small house and by the way you know we actually Eileen and I have lived in the same house all our married life that will be 28 years in May and I always remember my mum said to me, Oh, Dennis, you've been in that house a long time, you know. Maybe you should be getting another one. And I've always kind of, Nah, I don't want to get another one. I'm happy with what I've got. And why would I put myself in more debt to get a bigger house so my mum can say, Oh, yes, Dennis, you know, and live up there in a nice four-bedroom house, you know, and have that drive, you know. You see the stuff that kind of pushes us to do stuff that we shouldn't because our parents will feel good and they can tell their, oh, yes, well, Dennis is doing very well, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Live frugally. Okay. <laughs> 1 Timothy 6, 6, 7 says this, but godliness with contentment is of great gain for we brought nothing into the world so we can take nothing out of it. So, first, live within your means. Now, if you don't, as you can see from the diagram up there, the line going up is God's provision. That's your salary. Now, in this church, that, why is it going up? It means some people in the church earn not so much and others earn a lot. A lot. So even within this congregation, there's some people here, I'm not saying there's people here that have got their own private jets and are wealthy, but they're doing all right. There are other people, it's a struggle, but it's God's provision. Now, the line underneath is your lifestyle expenses. And what we want to seek to do is have some margin between what God gives us and our lifestyle expenses. The things that we choose to spend our money on. If you keep a gap there and it's a good margin, then you can tithe, you can give, you can do your savings. So control lifestyle expenses so that you have some margin. Now... What happens when lifestyle expenses get out of control? Because we have reduced margin, and you're going to see this come up now. Yeah, we're a good team here. 
Because you have reduced margin there, in other words, your expenses start to go up, you stop tithing, you stop giving, you stop saving. And you know something? When you're a love, someone who loves Jesus and you stop tithing, that's a kind of... Uh, and if you continue now and you can't pay your, your credit cards and you can't pay your bills, then this is, as Bill Hybels put it, a major ugh. <laughs> it's not nice when you can't pay your credit card bills and what you're doing is you're taking money from one card to pay the other card and you're running around I've been there not nice and then you have to stop and come to the place where you need to confess that you're in a hole been there and you go and you make a confession and I'm thankful to God I have my brother as a financial consultant and a Jesus, who loves Jesus too and he had mercy on me and gave me some advice you do not want to go there you see when you squeeze your margin you can't sleep at night you are sweating thinking how you're going to pay the next bill we fail to meet our exp- and this causes stress and you know here's the point you, you, God didn't design us to take that allowed kind of stress and by the way advertisement at this moment the money management course is that is it Ian and Louise and others uh, on Tuesday night. If you want some more help with this, be there. I think it's 7.30 for 8 or 7.45 for 8 o'clock. So that's what happens. You do not want to make to have your living expenses cross God's provision. Because if you do that, you're in Ugland, Ugville. Not nice. Stress. Yeah. Thank you. So the thing that we have to learn is delayed gratification. Delayed gratification. Now you see, I want it now. No, you must wait. And that's kind of difficult for us. Because you see, you just take out the credit card. Mm-hmm-hmm. You buy it now, you pay later. And you do pay later. So the issue is, we just need to learn to live frugally. Be sensible. Right, next, which leads us into our next point. Learn to be content. Philippians 4.11. This is what Paul said. He said, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. As I said to you earlier, the world system out there, the marketing system, encourages you and I to buy things that we don't really need by, produce, by producing in us this sense of discontent. And sometimes we don't even need the media to do that. You know, you've got your car, and you've had it for seven, eight years. It's got 120,000 on it. And your next-door neighbor turns up in a nice, shiny new car with four miles on the clock. And you have a choice. You can either rejoice in their success or say, hmm, new car. Is that your car? (laughs) You've seen the advert, haven't you? (laughs) Is that your car? Where'd you get that from? How'd you fool that then? See, it's, it's, it's built into us that when we see someone who's got something that we haven't got, that we know that we need, we either put on a brave face or we go back in the house and say, I don't know how he folded that or folded that. I mean, he only goes to the same job. I know what he does, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. That was J.B. Phillips' translation of Romans 12, 12. In other words, we don't have to be driven by the marketplace economics 
And how the business works is that why marketing was there is to stimulate consumers to buy things that they don't really need, so that ultimately it creates demand, and if you have demand, that puts, keeps people in jobs. And credit cards were there to give you the ability to buy things, even though, you, so, even though you couldn't afford it, and this whole circle was there to keep the economy going. It's just broken. It's just broken. So, don't let the world squeeze you. You don't have to have it. You're, who you are and what you are does not come from the car that you drive and the house that you live in and the job that you do. It doesn't. And you know, I think one of the things that God is doing is this. People think that they get their sense of who and what they are by what they do. And get their sense of affirmation from what they do. Look, I'm telling you, God is going to work works on me a long time and continues to, so that I get my affirmation from him. That I know that I'm loved for me. He doesn't love me because I preach. And if you think that being visual, visible and up here is going to help you, it won't. You need to get your affirmation from him. And get your sense of who you are from him. Father loves me for me. He's my daddy. I don't need all the other bits and pieces. And when you kind of get to know that, then he gives you the other pieces. But the other bits and pieces, the toys, are not important. If you didn't have them, it wouldn't matter. Because you have him. And if you have him, you have everything. Because he is your very great reward. Think, develop the ability to say, we have enough. It's a little story down in Genesis 32. Jacob and Esau, they kind of fell out. And God blessed Jacob and he blessed Esau. And Esau said, I'm coming to see you, Jacob. And Jacob became fearful because he thought, "Mm, I robbed my brother of his birthright. Surely he's coming back to do me in. And what he did is he sent presents. And he sent his family and he sent them in threes. And the people he didn't like so much, he put them up the front. And the people he really loved, like Rachel and that, he put right close to him. But when he came to his brother, he brought the present to him. And Esau said, it's all right, bro, I have enough. And, you know, we need to just be able to say that. We have enough. We have sufficient. With this, we will be content. So then. How do wise people build wealth? Well, they learn to honor God. Learn to honor God with your income. Remember, it comes from him. Without him, you wouldn't have it. So, be a cheerful giver. You know, aim to give 10% back. We know people, I've heard of people who give away 90% and live on 10%. They give away 90% and live on 10%. Whoa. That's something, isn't it? Have an attitude of gratitude. Have an abundance mentality. What I mean by this is that there's enough pie for everybody. If Chris gets a piece of the pie, it doesn't mean that you're not going to get a piece of the pie. It means that God's got something for everybody. So never get jealous when you see someone else get something. There's something there for you. Rejoice in other people's success. Yeah. Because yours is coming too. Aim at saving. Even if it's a small amount. 
just put something away and leave it there and don't touch it. Put it under lock and key. Even throw away the passport so you can't go in it. Just put something away. Practice frugality. In other words, look at ways you can do it cheaper. Look at ways that you can just be economical and efficient with the resources that God has. In a business, what do most businesses do? They try to do more with less. That's why most of us work longer hours. <laughs> oh, you see, some of you know this. Yeah? All right, bro. <laughs> you know, they want you to go to this place and that place. And when you find out, you find out that you're doing a job of three, four people. Yeah? But we have to be more efficient in where we live. You know, let's do more with less. Let's learn to be content. You know, who you are and what you are is not determined by your bank account. But your bank account is important. Because if you are stressed there, if you're living in Ogville, you're not going to be really very effective. Because you're going to be stressed. But wise people, they learn to be content. If God blesses you with a tremendous amount of income and you are wealthy, you can learn to be frugal and you can learn to to bless others with it. He didn't just give it to you because to whom much is given, much is... Yes, much is expected. Learning to be content, realizing that God has blessed you. Count your blessings. Count them one by one. That's an old one. But count them. Sit down. I just say, oh, Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for my wife. Thank you that she's a frugal person. Thank you that you know, she tries to set things up right. Sometimes, yes, she annoys me, but I thank God for it. That she says, yes, you ought to save. And yes, we need to get out of there. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't want to hear this. This is heresy. But no, it's God. You know, the hardest thing to hear sometimes is God through your wife. (laughs) And I struggle with it, but I'm hearing it more and more. You know? So, you know, we we, we learn to be content. We learn to, to, to just live within our means. We try not to squeeze the margin. Live within that margin. If that margin is broad, then you can do lots of things. You can tithe, you can save. But if the margin is tight, you know, you take out a mortgage, and basically when you take the mortgage out, there ain't anything else left to, to live on. So you've got a house, that's it. Whoa. But there's no furniture, and you can't eat. Now, is that a good deal? Better to get something smaller where you at least you can eat, have some clothes, and have some, something to sit on. So, learning to be content, learning to honor God, practicing frugality. This will provide the firm foundation we need to stand against the financial storms. And look, you know what's going on in our economy. People are are being made redundant. All of a sudden, people are earning big salaries or not earning big salaries anymore. Even amongst this congregation, we will have varying degrees of financial challenges. I know I'm looking at mine more closely and say we need to do things differently. We could give more. We could do that less, etc., etc. But let's do it now so when the storm comes, the house on the rock stood firm. Amen? Let's stand, shall we? Could have the band up, please. Father, we want to bless you this morning that... Every good and perfect thing comes from you. That you are our Father and you want to bless us. 
emotionally, spiritually, and financially. Lord, your word says that if you sent your son for us, would you not freely give unto us all things pertaining to life and godliness? And Lord, we come before you and we lay our finances before you. These finances that you have given us. This, your provision to us. And Lord, we ask you that in these turbulent times, you will help us to make wise decisions about how we spend the resources that you've given to us. Help us, Lord, to honor you with the first fruits of your provision to us. Help us, Lord, to live in a way that honors you, that we are not driven by external forces. But, Lord, we find who we are and what we are in you. And, Lord, we don't measure ourselves by the size of our car or the size of our house. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to be content, that you will work within our spirit, Lord, that in these days we may find out that you are a father, That we don't have to prove anything. We don't have to be anybody. That we can rest in your arms and know your affirmation. That you're a God whose heart is toward us. A God who wants to bless in good measure, pressed down and running over. That you're a God who wants to open the storehouses of heaven and pour a blessing into our lives so there's not enough room for it. Lord, we pray that we may know such an overflow of your financial blessing upon us as a community that it may flow out into this community. Just like with the children of Israel when there was light amongst them, there was darkness amongst the Egyptians, but yet because you were there, because your presence was there, because your provision was there, Your people knew an abundance in a time of difficulty. And Lord, that's what we pray. That as a people, in this time of difficulty, in this time of darkness, as we seek to honor you with our finances, with our provision, the provision you've made for us, we may see a level of your abundance that we have never experienced before in our lives. That as we test you, Lord... We see that you're a God who does exceeding abundantly above that which we could ask or think. According to your power that works within us. Lord, we ask you as a community, we may test you. We may make decisions. And Lord, as we make those decisions, we may see a flow from heaven of resources that we have never experienced in our lifetime. That we may be a blessing to this community because there's bread in this house. And want has been banished. In the name of Jesus. So Lord, we bless you. We pray, Lord, that you will take this word and it will produce fruit within our lives. That your name may be glorified and your kingdom extended. And everybody said, Amen.